Well, my name is Dave Lindy, and uh, I am privileged to be here today. I'm part of the staff of the North Central District of the Evangelical Free Church. We serve the free churches of the state of Minnesota, and part of my responsibilities is to assist churches and pastors in the pastoral search process. It was my uh, honor to work with the search team uh, of Watertown Free Church during that process, and it's really a treat to be here uh, on this culminating day of that process. So thanks for the privilege of, of being here. It's a milestone that we mark today. As Ed was saying, it's like a commissioning. It's like a launching. It's a dedication. It's a, a bit of a stake that we drive in the ground and we look to the Lord together and we say, Lord, thank you for what you've done in leading Bruce and his family here. And now, Lord, help us, help him as we go forward. Uh, thanks to the search team, Stuart and all of you who labored hard in the search process. Thank you to you. Pastor David, thank you for your interim ministry here. Elders, thanks for leading in the process of transition. Congregation, thank you for walking with Jesus and trusting Jesus in the transitional process. Uh, Bruce, congratulations, brother. Uh, so good to have you, Merv, your family here uh, on site on the ground serving here. Uh, what, a, what a great thing. Well, uh, it's customary in a pastoral dedication service to give a charge to the new pastor and to give a charge to the congregation. Uh, I've been asked to give a charge to Bruce, and then Pastor David will come up and give a charge to you as a congregation, as a whole. Uh, now, when I address Bruce here, uh, congregation, I'm giving you permission to listen in. Okay, because uh, what I'm going to tell Bruce, I think, is really applicable to all of us. So go ahead and, and listen in. Uh, so Bruce, what, what should I choose? Um, at a pastoral dedication service, what, what, what do I say to a, a, a new pastor? I've done this many, many times. What, what do I choose? I suppose there are, in Scripture, maybe three or four or five dozen things I could say, right? Um, so I have to choose. I have to choose something. And um, I've, I've, I've chosen something, and I, I just want you to know um, I'm not implying in any way, Bruce, that you don't know these things, that you're not doing these things. Um, I, it's, it's review, right? It's review for you, and it's review for me. And I know that um, this, is, this is a blessing for me to think about this, and to charge you with these things, because I'm listening in, and they're for me too. Bruce, I charge you this morning uh, to cut an early groove in two things. I want you to cut an early groove in two things. Now, I don't mean early, as in uh, do it now, and then you can stop later. I mean early, as in timely, while you have more discretionary time now, while you have more discretionary control over your time now, 
early in this ministry as you're getting your sea legs, as you're, uh, um, you're getting the ropes of what it means to be the lead pastor in this congregation. Now, you, you may think, um, Dave, I don't, I don't feel like I have a lot of discretionary time. Um, one year from now, will you have more or less? That's why I'm encouraging you to cut an early groove Bruce, so that that groove will hold when things become more pressured later. Good pressures. Two things. First of all, Bruce, I, I charge you this morning to cut an early groove of prayer. Cut an early groove of prayer. Uh, how foundational this is in the life of a pastor, in the life of a lead pastor, can hardly be overstated. And I just want you to remind you of the scripture in Acts chapter 6. Uh, you know it well, but let's, let's hear it again. Acts chapter 6, uh, early on in the life of the church. And um, I'll draw your attention to something. I'll just begin reading at verse 1, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Bruce, notice that uh, in verse 2, the apostles say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. And then in verse 4, they say we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer is bound up in the ministry of the Word. The two go hand in hand. And the ministry of the Word will not succeed without prayer. And, and in my charge to you today, I'm focusing mostly on you individually in prayer, your own prayer life. That will spill over into praying with others, of course. And then I want you to notice down in verse 7, so the Word of God, there it is again, spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I, I want you to notice that the ministry of the word here is not only to believers, it's to unbelievers. The result of the ministry of the word here is that the word is spreading. People are becoming disciples of Jesus. And if you, and if you trace that theme of the word of God in the book of Acts, you'll see that most of the time it refers to the word going to unbelievers. So prayer is central to the ministry of the word to God's people and to unbelievers. And the ministry of the word to unbelievers is going to be shaped by your life together here as a congregation and how you are connected with unbelievers. So prayer is central to the church, and to the harvest field. 
cut an early groove of prayer, Bruce. After all, what can you do on your own? Dean Johnson, our former superintendent, now with the Lord, used to say, referring to John 15, verse 5, uh, he said, uh, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Dean Johnson used to say, what is there about nothing you, you don't understand? How stiff will the spiritual opposition be, Bruce? Jesus said, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer. How will you individually resist the powers of darkness that would want to subvert you and your family and the church, a la Ephesians chapter 6? How will you resist that other than, as Paul says, praying at all times? And what can be more important, brother, than modeling first-hand engagement with God? First-hand, just you and God, alone. What can be more important than modeling that for the congregation? What can be more important than real-time expressing of your faith in God and your honesty before God in your own prayer life? And what does this congregation want in their pastor? Does this congregation want you to be so busy with good things that you'll get to prayer tomorrow? Or does this congregation want you to be a man of prayer? And the reason I charge you with this, brother, uh, as you know, is because there are so many competitors in today's world for your time and for your focus. There's the busyness and overload that is endemic to our culture. There is the overwhelming amount of information available to us in today's world. There are podcasts, good podcasts. There's social media. There is the engineered behavior of your phone that calls for your attention. Paul the Apostle never had to deal with notifications. And there are the demands of the church. Good demands. Good demands for good things. None of these things is wrong. None of these things is wrong. My charge to you, brother, is in the midst of these things, as you seek to steward these things for Christ, cut an early groove of prayer. And don't let these competitors keep you from that. Secondly, Bruce, cut an early groove of meditation on the Word of God. Cut an early groove of meditating on the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 119, that wonderful psalm, as you know, that celebrates the written Word of God. And I just call your attention to three verses in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I love that verse because uh, love is the inner working of the heart, and then the outer expression that comes from that is meditation. Or verse 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Or verse 48, 
I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Now, uh, I don't expect, Bruce, that if I barged into your office this week, I don't expect that I would find you sitting on your desk in a lotus position with your hands like this and your eyes closed. You, you and I know that's not what the Bible means by meditation. Um, the, the Bible simply means mulling it over. It means talking to yourself, murmuring to yourself, uh, thinking about the word and sort of under your breath, uh, talking to yourself and, and, and to God about it and what it means and how it applies and what it teaches you about God and yourself and the world and your purpose in life. It's, it's almost a subcategory of prayer. And that's why I've, I'm, I'm giving you this double charge. It's, it's, sort of, it's sort of talking over the word in God's presence back and forth, uh, hearing him in the word and talking to him ab about it and what it means and so on. In the New Testament, for example, you find in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says this to Timothy. Reflect on what I am saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all this. ESV says, think about what I'm saying. That's a reference to meditation. Paul commands Timothy here to meditate on, to think about, to reflect on, to mull over what he's saying, and he promises that the Lord will give understanding. And there's no contradiction between the Lord giving understanding and us, you, needing to meditate on the word. And this is an encouragement to you. The Lord will give understanding as you reflect on it. And, brother, part of the reason why I've chosen this as a, a charge to you is because I, I want you to avoid, and I, um, this is review, okay? I'm not accusing you of this, brother. But I want you to avoid a second-hand acquaintance with the Bible. I want you to avoid a second-hand preaching where it's, it's what others say about the scriptures that you rely on. Now, the flip side of that, right, is to be careful. Don't be a maverick. Don't, don't be deaf to what others are saying about the word. True. But first, first and foremost, you mull it over. You talk it over with God. You sustain thinking about it first because it makes a difference in all aspects of your ministry. It will certainly influence your preaching. Rather than being hurried, rather than being kind of thrown together and there, there are weeks, well, where you're going to have to throw a sermon together. That's the Saturday night sermon, okay? And the Lord will see you through on that. But over the long haul, and it's, it's not just throwing together thoughts of other people. It's, it's your preaching growing out of sustained reflection on the word yourself. It'll flavor your preaching. It's percolated. It's marinated. It's like a cow bringing up the word and chewing on it for yourself. It'll affect your conversation. 
It'll reflect when you pause and pray for someone in the course of the day. You've got something on the launching pad. You've got something that you've been thinking about, reflecting on. It'll influence your counseling. It'll influence your personal vitality. I, I, I charge you to cut these grooves, Bruce, because they will have so much far-reaching fruit. And again, what does the congregation want in their lead pastor? They want a pastor who meditates on the Word. Just a, a, a couple of practical suggestions that come to me, uh, occur to me in terms of meditating on the Word. You can weigh these for what it's worth. Um, certainly allowing time. Certainly a, a allowing time, not letting competitors crowd this out. Um, I, I suggest that you enlist your body. Enlist your body in meditating on the Word. And each of us is different. You'll have to figure this out yourself. Uh, I find that some of my best meditation on the Word over the years has been when my body is moving, <laughs> when I'm walking. And I walk and I think about the Word and I pray. It helps me, helps me to walk. What, what would help you? How can you enlist your body in meditating on the Word? And then, Bruce, take, take the long view of meditation. Not only meditate on next Sunday's sermon, for sure, absolutely, but take the long view, the cumulative fruit, the cumulative fruit that will come from meditating on the Word over the course of your whole ministry. I have found very helpful in that regard to value asking God questions. <laughs> questions about the word. At first, I was really uncomfortable with that. I thought, how can I ask a question if I don't have the answer? How can I ask God a question if I don't know what the answer is? What if an answer doesn't come right away? What if I can't figure this out right away? But I have learned over the course of the years that asking questions of the Bible, part, part of meditation is asking God, Lord, what, what do you mean by this? Why did this person do that? Why did Peter write this? And why does this go before? Why does this come after? Questions and questions and questions. I've learned that it's like scattering seed. And the seed might take a while to come up. The seed might take a while to germinate. But if you scatter seed over the course of your lead pastor ministry, that can blossom into all kinds of fruit over the long haul. And so just be careful. Be careful of the competition. Be careful of leaning too heavily on the work of others as they study the Word. Lean on them. Yes, lean on them. But don't lean on them to the exclusion of your own personal reflection on the Bible. So, Bruce, cut two early grooves in your ministry. Cut an early groove of prayer. Cut an early groove of meditating on the Word. As they say, you will be able to do more by doing less if you focus on these things. And really, we're talking here about simply being attentive to God. Attentive to God through prayer and through the Word. And in this, you'll be able to lead God's people to be attentive to him themselves 
which is what Jesus is calling us to, especially in our day of inattentiveness. God bless you, brother. Merv, your whole family, just so good to have you here. Um, blessings to you in the days ahead, and may the Lord bless you in prayer and meditating on the word. All right. Thank you, Dave. David, man has an amazing name, doesn't he? <laughs> you know, it is, as I've said, God's favorite name. And uh, just notice it in Scripture. Prayer and meditation. The central focus of any pastor. Good words. Good words. And a good reminder. Dave was asked to offer a charge to the congregation, rather to the pastor and I to the congregation. And for the last two years, I've had the privilege of being your interim pastor. And I want to thank you for that privilege. It's been fun. It really has. Uh, today, we officially welcome my replacement. And he's got uh, some 40 years on me, so uh, it seems appropriate. Uh, he is, by the way, the 15th in a long line of pastors stretching back to 1946. Now, we go beyond that, but I'm losing details in the murky sea of history. As Matt Redmond put it in his worship song, 10,000 Reasons, there's a, a new day coming. You need to get ready for that. One of the certainties of a new pastor, and you all need to realize this, is there will be some changes. And isn't it amazing how difficult changes are for us? We all change but we don't necessarily like all the changes. You've asked a new leader to take the wheel of the bus. He may take you on a new route, and it is important you realize that. What's your responsibility? That's the question I'm asked to answer this morning. Briefly, what is your responsibility toward Bruce, his wife Merv, the children? What is your responsibility toward them? Well, of course, there are some simple things that everyone would agree with. Do you have a responsibility to encourage them, to, to build them up with words and actions and cut their kids some slack? It's tough being pastor's kids. Ask mine. They'll tell you some of the challenges they faced over the years. Yes, encourage them. That's obvious. I don't really need to say too much about that. Uh, secondly, prayer has been mentioned. You need to pray for them on a regular daily basis, consistently and with knowledge. It won't do to pray for them like you do often for our missionaries. Oh, Lord, pray for that missionary. No detail. 
We need to learn about them and pray for them specifically. And then I think also you need to speak well of them. This is an important responsibility. You need to speak well of them to yourselves. You need to speak well of them to other members of the body. And you need to speak well of them to outsiders. You need to commit yourself today to the fact that you're not going to have any roast preacher for lunch on Sunday afternoon. That's a commitment. And you need to do it. And certainly all of this is true and all of this is needed. And more. But I want to focus on a single Bible verse this morning in the final chapter of the anonymous New Testament book of Hebrews. Just one verse. I'll read a couple more later, but this is the particular one I want you to think about. Hebrews is a glorious New Testament book. In fact, I think it's impossible to understand the Old Testament book of Leviticus without understanding the New Testament book of Hebrews. It's all about the superiority of Jesus over everything, which, by the way, should be the theme of this congregation. And then in the 13th chapter, in the 17th verse, we have these words. Have confidence in your leaders. Some translations have obey and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Bruce is answerable to God for you. Do this, listen, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. That really is an amazing verse. Let me put it like this. When the shepherd of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, the people of God should have confidence in him and submit to his teaching. That's your responsibility. I want to provide some context here. Just pulling that verse out is a little unfair. But I'm going to give you only a minimal context. Verses 15, 16, and 17 of Hebrews chapter 13 contain three great spiritual obligations. Let me mention the three of them, but we'll only focus on the last for a moment. The first is, in verse 15, we have a spiritual obligation. The text says we're to offer a sacrifice of praise. To whom is that obligation? It's to God. You, as a congregation, you as followers of Jesus, I, as a follower of Jesus, am expected to offer him a sacrifice of praise. And I need to do that on a daily basis. That's very much like the meditation that Dave was talking of. So our first responsibility is spiritual. We need to give God his due. Our second responsibility is social. Look at verse 16. This responsibility is to those around us. The text says, do good and share with others. 
Are you out there doing good? Are you out there sharing with others? That involves here in the body as well as out in the neighborhood and at work. This is an obligation to those around us. So we have a spiritual obligation, a social obligation. And then in verse 17, the verse I read a moment ago, we have an ecclesiastical obligation. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Where did that authority come from? Where does Bruce get his authority? Well, first of all, he gets it from God. And you as a congregation have recognized that. And so you have given him authority as well. Authority from God and authority from you. And so when he speaks the word, he speaks out of the authority of God and the authority you as a congregation have given him. Actually, the New English Bible translates that, uh, defer to them. That's a rather important principle. If we disregard any of these three commands, the spiritual, the social, or the ecclesiastical, we dishonor the Lord. I want to remind you that it's much easier to keep the ecclesiastical obligation if you're keeping the first two already. Once again, have confidence in your leaders. This word confidence is built upon a Greek word which means trust. Trust your leaders. Trust them. Trust Bruce. And by the way, it's continuous action. That's the sense of the Greek here. It isn't just something you do on Sunday morning for an hour or all day Sunday or perhaps for a week or perhaps for a month. This is a continuous thing. It goes on and on and on. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. And by the way, here's a caution. This is not unthinking obedience. God doesn't expect that. This also is not a, uh, a formula for dictatorship. That's not what's intended. If you read the book of Hebrews carefully, you'll discover that so. We are called to respond to the revealed will of God. And that's your pastor's job. Do you recall that key verse in the book of James? I think it's the verse that sums up the whole book. It's found in James 1, verse 22. These are the words of Jesus' brother. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. When Bruce preaches on a Sunday morning and he closes his sermon with admonitions to himself and to the congregation, do it. Don't Talk about it. Don't think about it. Do it. Oh, yes, do talk about it and think about it. But don't stop there. Do it. Bruce has an awesome responsibility as your pastor teacher. 
as your caretaker of souls. In the middle of that verse, we have the phrase, they or he keeps watch over you as those who must give an account. That word watch implies losing sleep. I wonder if we gathered together all the pastors that have ever been in this congregation and got them in a round table and said, have you lost any sleep ever over your congregation? They would all put their hands up. How many times have pastors awakened in the middle of the night and thought about the issues and problems and difficulties and pains of their congregation and prayed for them? And that is what we're being told your pastor does. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. He's answerable, an account to God, like, like, like a shepherd to the one who owns the flock or like a sentry to his commanding officer. He hears tireless concern. Bruce leaves the office and heads home. Doesn't just turn it off. It's still there, still in his mind. He's thinking about you, and as he drives past your home, he reflects on what may have happened and what he knows about your needs. I think of Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He's on his way to Jerusalem to be arrested and taken to Rome and finally beheaded on the Appian Way. And, and he says this, be shepherds of the church of God. He's talking about church leaders, which he bought with his own blood. How, how serious is this? How big a deal is it to be a shepherd? We, we think of the shepherd holding a little lamb, and oh my, isn't that cute? Isn't that pleasant? Isn't that nice? But we forget about the times when the wolves and the bears come. And we forget about the sleepless nights that the shepherd has. And Paul is saying to those from Ephesus, be shepherds of the church of God. Why? Which he bought with his own blood. How big a deal is that? Suddenly we're driven back to the cross. Suddenly we realize that the shadow of the cross falls across everything that your pastor does and everything this church is about. Your pastor, Bruce, is accountable for your spiritual well-being. Confidently submit to his authority, because if you do, look at the tail end of that verse. If you do, their work will be a joy, not a burden. That is not a groaning, not a source of sadness. Oh, I could tell you stories about sad preachers that I know. I can tell you stories about how congregations have cut men off at the knees. I'm sure Dave knows even more than I. And I grant you, pastors sometimes misbehave. I'm not meaning to whitewash them. But you're responsible for this man. You're responsible. in order that his work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It would not be profitable 
It would be harmful to you. If you steal his joy, you're cutting your own throats. Don't ever steal his joy. It is not good for church members if their pastor has to label, labor under grim and hostile conditions. Do, do you remember that occasion in the Old Testament when Moses had a confrontation with his people and they complained because there wasn't enough water and God said to him, go speak to the rock and Moses was ticked. He's mad at the people, so he hit the rock. It's not a big deal, hitting the rock. Just like it's not a big deal to take fruit off the wrong tree. But it disregarded a command of God. And because Moses was angry at his people because of their sin, he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Don't do that to your pastor. My prayer is that Bruce will know the sentiment of John in 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And can I add that I feel the same way? When Bruce says to me a few months from now, what a glorious bunch of people. It's wonderful to see the way they're reaching out in the community. I'd love to see the godliness that's occurring among the congregation. I, too, will share that joy. I want to give you a final verse, congregation. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is an interesting passage because Paul spent very little time with the Thessalonica church. As far as we can tell, he might have been there three weeks. And that's quite a contrast to some places where he spent a couple of years. But because of that, there was some confusion concerning doctrine, particularly about the second coming. And so he wrote to correct their confusion. And then when he came to the end of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, he wrote this in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. I'll stop there for a moment. And I want to encourage you to make a copy of this and put it on your refrigerator. You know, use one of those, what do you call it, magnets, a little refrigerator magnet. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But, but notice the last phrase, the one I haven't read yet. Live in peace with each other. You want to gladden a pastor's heart and get along with each other. Don't be mad at each other. If you've got a problem, deal with it. Excise the cancer. Remove it. Keep sh- short accounts there's somebody in the congregation you're mad at, go hug them today. D- d- don't hug me because I'll think you're mad at me. And uh, got to be careful about that. But that's our responsibility.
Bruce, uh, you know, in a in a relay race, the uh, I didn't even know this thing was hollow. Uh, in a relay race, they pass the baton. So I'm passing the baton this morning. Now I think they do it like this, don't they? Backwards, okay. And so now he gets to run the race, okay. And so the race continues. But there's another element here. Dave, could you help me with that? Okay, thank you. Uh, not only are you the next runner, not only are you the next runner in the race, but let's change the metaphor a little. You're the quarterback, too. And uh, on this football are the names of the elders and the rest of your leadership team, most of them. And uh, this is just a reminder of the fact that you, congregation, asked him to be the quarterback. And so I throw him, I'm going to throw it to you. Okay, are you ready? You ready? Okay. That's Thanks good. for warning me. Yeah, well, I had to. Uh, and, and could I remind you of one other thing? If ever Bruce stands on the platform with his hands beside his head like this, ever watched a football game and the quarterback is doing that, you, you know what's happening? He's listening to instructions from the coach. And that means he's listening to what God has to say. So if he stands up here and slaps his ears, you know that he's paying attention to God. Okay? It's all yours, brother. God bless you. We get out of here. Thank you. Dave and Dave. <laughs> Thank you, Marie, for your time here as well. Um, You've heard two great messages, and I, I don't need to add a third, um, but I will share this. I, I was sitting out there listening, and I was struck by the fact, um, as Ed said, there are the fingerprints of God all over this. Um, I was struck by the fact that there's people in this room that have known me since the day I was born. I was struck by the fact that there's people in this room that knew me at my first church and at my second church and that I landed at this church and found people that already knew me. I was struck by the fact that um, there's people that knew my wife in high school. There's people here that knew me in college. And I don't think that it's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that Dave shared the words he shared. I don't think it's a coincidence that David shared the words he shared, that he referenced Hebrews, which is... Uh, this is a shameless plug. The next thing we're going to be looking at as a congregation, the anonymous book, <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God is moving and doing something. And I'm excited that we get to do it together. And I'm excited to get to know you more. I've spent, we've spent a month in this congregation already and have felt the love, have felt um, the camaraderie, have felt the community. And we look forward to more of that as we move forward, as we move forward and make an impact in our community. And so I want to share um, kind of what has been a guiding verse for me as the one passage that was laid on my heart this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I didn't warn Cher ahead of time, so it's not going to be on the screen. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. And I'm, I'm not saying that as me, I'm saying that as us. We need to reach our community, our people that don't know Jesus, and we need to reach them in a way that they will hear and understand. And we do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. And I wasn't planning on reading the next verse, but David, since you handed me a baton, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? So we need to run together. And I know we will. And so I thank God for this opportunity and for, uh, I thank God for how he's been at work and bringing us here. And I thank God for this congregation already. And I think Dave is going to come back up at this time and we're gonna move on to the next, the next part. We will now have a, a dedication prayer for Bruce and for Merv and the family. Merv, would you come on up, please? Pastor David, would you come up, and elders, please, come on up. We're just going to gather around Bruce and Merv here. So come on up and sort of form a, a semicircle here behind them. Elders, maybe you can gather in closest here. David and I will kind of take the periphery. David, if you, if you would, be, here, let me take the mic and pass it over to David. David, if you would begin, and then I will pray, and then uh, one of you elders, representatively, so three of us praying, David, and then I, and then one of you elders, please. Congregation, join your hearts with us, uh, and let us dedicate uh, Bruce and Merv to the uh, Lord. As a token of your involvement, why don't you all stand? Lord God, thank you for this family. Thank you for orchestrating the move and preparing this congregation and them for what you want to do here. I pray that they would be people of prayer and people of meditation and that we too those who are supporting in prayer and meditation, this ministry would be that kind of people as well. I ask, Father, that you would anoint Bruce's preaching, that you would uh, allow him to communicate clearly and succinctly and accurately the Word of God. I ask, Father, that he would become a, a student of the Bible on a daily basis, and that as you speak to him every day through scripture, he would listen and respond, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Father, for bringing he and Merv and the children here. I ask that your Holy Spirit now would control the future. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Lord, there's so much to be thankful for today. And we give you thanks for all your faithfulness, all your goodness. Uh, Lord, protect and direct 
Bruce and Merv and their children. Protect them from the evil one. Pour out your wisdom on them. Bless them in these early weeks, months of ministry and into the long term. Prosper them, Lord, for the sake of your name, that Jesus might be lifted up, that those who don't know him yet would meet him. We dedicate to you um, this family, this congregation, and their partnership walking together into the future. Do good things, Lord. Thank you for what you will do. Father, it's indeed a privilege to stand before this congregation and your presence as well, Lord, and how you brought uh, so many details, all the details together uh, to this day. Uh, it's one we look forward to, Father, and we thank you for the provision in so many ways that uh, has enabled this to occur. And now, Father, as uh, has been, um, uh, the word has been given about Bruce cutting a groove, Father, a couple of them. And Father, how, how, how we as a congregation and elders can support that and be involved in that. And not only to speak to it, Father, but to do something about it as well, Lord. And may our, our focus totally be on you, Jesus, as we go forth from this day in ministry in this community with this pastor, and his wife and family. Oh, Father, we thank you for the privilege today. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we end this morning, another parallel. From 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you all through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Have a great week.